morning take your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter number 2. We started a while back going through 1 Peter, and we're moving right along. And um, it's a great book, but this section we're going through is uh, hard living, hard to do. And uh, <clears throat> in all reality, if we're going to follow the Lord, and uh, if, if you've submitted yourself to follow and do what God tells you to do, this passage isn't too hard for you to listen to. But if you haven't surrendered yourself to the Lord, you don't like this passage, you didn't like last week's passage, and you're not going to like next week's passage because it's all talking about being submissive to the Lord. And so we look at this book, and as we start talking about, if you remember, Peter's writing this to a bunch of Christians that are a little on the outside of Rome. The Roman Empire ruled the world during this time, and to be a Christian meant a lot of things, a lot of persecution. Nero hated Christians, in fact, I mentioned when we started the series, Nero wanted to build Rome for himself, but Rome was already built. So what did he do? He burned down part of the city and blamed the Christians for doing it. So in doing that, he persecuted the Christians, and Christians were looked at in a bad light. And so what Peter's doing, he's writing to Christians. You know, they didn't have Facebook. They don't have the news. They didn't have television. They didn't have radio. They had nothing to know of these things. So Peter is writing them a letter to tell them, this is what's going on here, and it's headed your way. Now, as we've gone through chapter number one into chapter number two, we look, and you're in chapter number two. I'm just going to review for a minute here and dive into new things. The Bible tells us in verse number nine that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse number 11 tells us, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, or I beg you, as strangers and pilgrims. Now, as we look at this, you understand something. As a Christian and as a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, this world's not our home. The way this world functions, the things that this world does, it just, it's not, it's not home. Our home is heaven. We have a heavenly citizenship. But we're here right now. So how do we live here today when we live here, but our citizenship's in heaven? How do we live today? How do we do what God's called us to do in 2022? And so we started looking at this passage. Verse 13, last week we looked at, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or as unto governors, unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of malignity, but as servants of all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So Peter starts out, so in light of everything going on, this is how you should live your life as a Christian. So let me just say today, as we looked at this last week, in 2022, how should I live my life? What's God's will for me? What type of a citizen should I be? What we looked at last week, we are to obey the laws where we live. Now, we talked about last week the fact there comes a point where men's laws go against God's laws. And if we are going to do, and the Bible is clear, that if God's, God's law is the ultimate law, right? So if the Bible says to do something, and then the government says don't do what God tells you to do, and then we would be sinning by not doing it, we should follow God and do what God says. For an example, I gave this example last week. Our wonderful governor here in the state of California 
with all that COVID stuff, he said, okay, you can go to church, but don't sing in church. The Bible does say that we are to come into his presence with singing. We are to sing the praises of our God. So for me, it would be a sin not to sing to the Lord. So I will obey God, not man in that area. But then those of you on the other spectrum, if they say they want me to wear a mask in a business, there's nowhere that says in the Bible you shouldn't wear a mask. And I follow what they tell me to do because I'm trying to be a good citizen like God wants me to be. So well, I don't know. You can do whatever God leads you to do. I'm just saying what I do, okay, and do. Someone asked me the question last week, well, what about, what about they forced you to get a vaccine? Should you obey that? And you, you, God's given you a, a mind. God's given you, we have individual soul liberty. And so you say, well, and this is the thing. You have people on both, when it comes to, let's just use vaccines for a second. I'm not saying my stance on it. You have people on the far, this far side that think it's the best thing ever. And you have people on that far side that think it's basically the antichrist being injected into your body. And then you got those in the middle who just don't really care. And this is the thing. You do your research and you do as God leads you to do. If you, and we look at the laws of the land, everybody in political office in the United States and in, in our uh, police office, all of them, they swear to uphold to the Constitution of the United States, right? I think the Constitution is very clear in the Bill of Rights that the government can't really tell you what to do with your body. So you do what the Lord leads you to do. So, but we are supposed to submit to the authorities in our lives. We are supposed to do good. That's what the Bible says, as citizens. Now we're going to go a little bit further today. And this is the thing. Last week when I talked about being good citizens and doing all those things, there wasn't a lot of people smiling in the room. There wasn't a lot of amens. People were not like, yeah, great message, pastor. No one said that. And it's going to be the same thing today. I started out the message last service, and it went totally quiet on me. We don't like talking about a lot of these things, but this is what the Bible says. So we're going with what the Bible says. First Peter 2, look at verse number 18 for today. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye are buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow him. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in him, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him, that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, stripes you are healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Father, I pray that you'd bless the next few minutes this morning, guide our thoughts. I pray that this message would be a help to us in these areas and help us to follow you and to love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I think that old hymn that you do at invitation time a lot of times, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. And we sing, I surrender all. But do we ever really surrender all? We, should, we could rename, do it this way, I surrender some. 
I surrender a little bit, but we don't ever surrender all. The Lord is trying to teach us in this passage how to live for him. The problem we have is, and it's been a problem for a long time, that Christians give God a bad name. I give God a bad name at times by the way I live my life. And we all do. And it's just the way it is. We're not perfect. You hear people in the world often, all that Christians are are hypocrites. Now, so are they. We all are hypocrites at times. Now, let's be honest this morning. There are times where I am a hypocrite. Now, how many of you would agree there are times you're a hypocrite too? Yeah, we're all hypocrites at times. We don't, we, and at the end of the day, let me ask you this question. How many of you would love to always do what was right in every situation? How many of you would love to do that? We all would, right? But we're sinners. We're not going to be perfect. We are going to be hypocrites sometimes. And I tell those people, and they're like, oh, I'll never go to church. That's, there's full of hypocrites. I'm like, you're one too. Come join us. And I smile. And then they don't come. I don't know why they don't come. But in one way or another, we're all hypocrites at different times in our lives. But if we look, you understand this? Peter's saying, hey, Live a life that brings honor and glory to God. Hey, when you live and you're a citizen of whatever country you're a part of, obey the laws of the land. Do good. Make God look good where you live. So today you could really say, make God look good where you work. We don't like to talk about that one as much, right? Now, we look at verse number 18. I want to give you a few thoughts before we get into the message. It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. Now, we talk about slavery for a few minutes here this morning. I've heard a lot of ignorant people say, the Bible, the Bible is for slavery. That is not true. That is not true at all. But I also want you to know something, that slavery in the Roman Empire in these days, in Jesus, in Peter's day, was a lot different than the slavery early in our country and that was going on around the world. I'm going to give you a few examples this morning. So, did you know a third of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves? There were four main types of slaves. There were ones that worked in mines, farms, cities, and in homes. And I believe that as you read this about Peter here, he's talking about the ones who served in homes. Now, what you got to understand is that most of the slaves in the Roman Empire in that day, they were treated well. They were paid for what they did. And uh, they had some, there were Roman laws that protected them in some ways. But at the end of the day, they were still held against their will. But they didn't, and some commentators said, you really don't want to call them a servant but you don't want to go as far as a slave. They're somewhere in between there. And I like how someone said it like this. Semi-permanent employees without legal or economic freedom. But I will just say this so you understand something. The Bible is not for slavery. Jesus teaches how we should treat all people. And all people are loved by God. It does not matter this morning what color your skin is. God loves you. It doesn't matter any of those things. God loves you this morning. And let's be honest for a minute. The slavery that took place in this country in the past and in other places, it is against what God would have anywhere. It was never God's design for men to be treated that way, to be beaten like they were, and to be nothing more than animals. That was not God's plan, not God's idea. And there are many Christians that were involved in that garbage too. 
And there's still Christians today that are very prejudiced in their thinking. And when you see someone and you base them off the color of their skin and you look down on them or you have certain thoughts about them, that is wrong, it's sinful, and has no place in God's work or in Christianity. He died for all people. The children's song, brown, yellow, black, and white, they're all precious in his sight. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be looking at people's skin color. You're going to be looking at who was saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so as we look here today, you say, well, he's talking about those slaves in the Roman Empire. This is 2022. That's not me, so i got nothing to learn in the message today. There's still a lot for us to learn this morning, and we're going to get into it today. And it's interesting. Did you know, in all reality, the Bible is teaching how to treat people? People didn't get that. Philemon, Paul wrote to Philemon in Philemon verse 16 and Paul urged a slave owner named Philemon to receive his runaway slave back and it says not now as a servant but above a servant, a beloved brother Galatians 3.28 tells us for there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither bond nor free there are no slaves or non-slaves there is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus we look today at this passage, and we're going to see some things that we can do. How can we, we looked at last week how to be good citizens. Today we're going to look at how to be good employees. Number one, Roman numeral number one, as we dive in, we see that we are told here to be good employees. Let's read again verse 18 through 20. Just in case, I want to make sure you're seeing this is from the Bible. This is not Brian. This is Bible, okay? Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye are buffeted for your fault, ye take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. And you see, you've got to understand something. Employers need to be careful that they don't treat their employees as um, property, but employees need to act like Christ as Christians. You see... Not only should Christians be the best citizens, Christians should be the best employees. When I first started the church, when I first took over here about 12 years ago, there was only a few people here, and I had a job outside of here. I had someone just ask me last week, it's pretty funny, like, you're a full-time pastor? What do you do? That would be nice to get paid full-time to do what you do. I'm sure there's not much you have to even do. I don't know what people think sometimes. I think... The pastor sits in his office with a, you know, and has his feet up all day long, sits back, doesn't do anything. And uh, you ever want to, if anybody ever wants to spend a day with me and see what a pastor does, come along. You can come spend a day with me, and we'll have some fun together, and you can see what a pastor does. And they're like, man, that sounds like a great job. And you don't even have to do much. I'm like, thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that very much. And uh, this sermon alone was about eight hours of work this morning. About eight hours of work just for this one. And there's three a week on most weeks. So just think about that, besides anything else. But that's okay. But I remember when I first started pastoring, there wasn't money here. I had to get a job. And I applied at these different places, and I found it was going to be the perfect, I thought it was the perfect job. I could work about 25 hours a week, make the money I need, and still be able to do all these things, the late evening, overnight thing, and it was going to be perfect. And I called, and I was, and the guy called me back for an interview. He's like, all right, I got a few questions for you. I'm like, okay, let's go ahead and go through. So, He's like, this is only part-time, so what else do you do? I said, oh, I'm a pastor. Like, um, okay, that's it. I'm, we're done. So, um, excuse me? What's up? 
And he said, um, I've hired several Christians at my company here. And I'm a Christian myself. I have yet to have a good Christian work for me. I will never hire another Christian again. That's what he said. I've heard many a person tell me that. That's a sad representation we give to our Savior. Um, a while back, I ran into someone, and I was talking to them. I believe I knocked on their door. And I knocked on their door. I was witnessing to them, and the guy was like, oh, I'm a manager at this place. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, oh, we have people from our church that work there. He's like, really? And I said, it's so-and-so. And they're like, that guy's a Christian? I'm like, um, yeah. That guy has the dirtiest mouth out of anyone at our work. I am shocked to know he's a Christian. I'm like, um, oh, okay. He went to a lot of other churches. He's just barely been coming down. No, I didn't say anything like that. And um, what do you say to that? The Lord wants us to be good employees. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter number 3, and verse number 17, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So whatever we do, we need to do for the Lord, right? So as we look at this today about being a good employee, number or letter A, we see you need to respect your boss. Look at what the Bible says here, chapter 2. Verse number 18, it says, Servants, be subject to your own masters with all fear. You see that there? Respect, we're called to serve with a submissive heart. And this means we should have a desire to respect and honor the people we work for. Now, sometimes that's easy. I had someone come up to me after the last service, and they're like, you know, where I worked, it was super easy to be good to my boss because they were good to me. It's easy, and that's the thing. It's easy to be good when they're nice to you, right? It's easy to treat someone good when they treat you well. That's just the way it is, right? Are we awake? Are we alive? Yeah? Some of you are like, shake your head a little bit. Just make sure you're staying awake. Just make sure we're okay. And uh, we need to respect, and that's what the Bible says here. Say, but I do it to the good ones. Well, look at what letter B tells us. Be faithful even when it's not fair. Look at what the Bible says. Not only am I supposed to respect the good and the gentle ones, but also to the froward ones. That word froward means crooked. has the idea of bad dealings. How many of you have ever worked for a bad employer before? I think all of us could say that this morning. Lots of examples. And someone, came, someone else came up to me after the last service like, thanks a lot for making me remember all my bad employers. Sorry. Maybe you're just remembering them because you didn't treat them the way Christ wanted you to. But anyways, I'll leave that there. It says, but do you see that there? Not only to the good ones. We're supposed to do it to all of them. You say, well, how in the world am I supposed to do that? Well, we do it by letter C, by viewing God as your boss. As a Christian, who is our boss? The Lord is, right? Am I, yeah? So look at what it says. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Now, it's interesting to me, and I was not a translator of the scriptures, so I'm not going to question what they translated. But the word thankworthy there, and if you look down at verse number 20, it says this is acceptable with God. Acceptable and thankworthy are the exact same word in Greek. So what it literally means is that this is acceptable to God, 
that you do what's right to your bosses. God wants you to. Even when you are wrong or you suffer wrongfully, God wants you to treat your bosses right. That's quite a statement right there. The word thankworthy there literally means approval, favor, or grace. You'll notice that we're called to endure grief and even suffer. Ever, I've mentioned earlier, and I mentioned last service, about having bad bosses. In Bible college, I had a great job. And this job, I mean, this job really was good. Great benefits, everything. I worked plenty of hours, and it was perfect. And so, and this company, I did my best. And, but this is the thing. I went to college in the morning from 8 o'clock to 1 in the afternoon. Got to work at 2 in the afternoon, and I worked sometimes till 2 or 3 in the morning. just depends on the day. So I was going on three or four hours sleep. There would be times they would say, hey, can you stay over and do some extra work? And I'd do whatever I could because it was just what I did. Well, it's one night. There was one last truck that came in. This was a Walgreens distribution center. So there are, like, several Walgreens distributions around. And so we're in Chicago area. And so we had to load this truck for different spots, and you had different dock spots. Well, we put another guy and I worked together that night, and I know for a fact, hand on God's word, I did not mess up this freight. We labeled it, or he labeled it, we, I'll just, we. We labeled it from Reno Valley, California, when it was going to Jacksonville, Florida. It did not get on that truck. They caught it and put it in the right place. I'm coming to work the next morning, and a lot of guys from the college worked at this place, and I got a call from the, the manager, the boss there. And he was a hothead all the time, big-time hothead. And he gets on the phone, and he's like, the, you and so-and-so loaded, unload this truck last night. I'm like, yeah, after we'd been there 13 hours, we unloaded the truck because you needed it done. You guys labeled the freight wrong. I'm like, oh, sorry. He's like, one of you two are not coming into work. You're fired. Really? I've never been late to work, never caused a problem at work, and you're going to fire me or him based on this. Yeah, I'm not putting up with this. And so I'm like, so he said, which one are you? And to be honest, the guy still doesn't know to this day that I took the fall there. The guy had just gotten married and had a baby on the way, and I was a single guy in college just starting to date my wife right around that time. Well, we were just starting to date then. And so I said, I won't come into work. And I got fired. Several of the people there, several of the um, college students said that that guy said I did a ton of terrible things for a long time while I worked there. And none of it was true. But to this day, I never told one of those guys that worked there anything bad about their boss. Not because I didn't want to, because I wanted to. I did because it was what was right. It's easy to be good to people when they're good to you. It's easy, you know, when you have a good boss, and I've had several good bosses, and it's nice when you have a good boss, because then you're like, I'll do almost anything. If, and that, that's a little lesson for you here. If you have people that work underneath you, you treat them well, you treat them right, you speak to them right, you honor them, and you treat them well, it will go a long way in your business. And, you know, when you work for a good employer, you, you'll do anything for them. Sure, I'll stay over. I'll do this and that. 
But the Bible tells us here that it doesn't matter if they're good or bad. In God's eyes, God wants us to do what's right in the midst of all these things. And I know that that's hard. But we need to be mindful of who really is our master and it's the Lord. And then we see letter D before we move on here. We see that we should persevere patiently to please God. Now look at this verse. is pretty interesting. Look at this verse in verse 20. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye take it patiently? Now let's say, let's say you have some problems at work, but it's really your fault. And you just, you know, you just had a bad day. And, you know, you're getting blamed for this, but you did it. And you're like, okay, that's okay. Look at what the Bible says. Keep reading here. It says, but if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. This is what God wants you to do. God wants us to take it. And that's a very interesting thing when we think about it. You see, when we suffer for what is right, God is pleased. A lot of times, though, we suffer for our own stupidity. That doesn't please the Lord when we suffer for our own stupidity. But when we suffer, suffer for what's right, it pleases God. We see that here in this passage. We see, number one today, that we should be good employees. Number two, we see that in all of these areas, we need to let Christ be our example of submission. Christ needs to be our example, and Christ did. And that's what we're going to see here. Look at verse number 21. There was written um, in 1896, there was a book written by Charles Sheldon. Amazing. 1896, the same year this building was built. There was a book written, In His Steps is the name of the book. I don't know if you've ever read that book. It's an excellent book. I have two or three copies. If you would like a copy to read it, it's an excellent book. It comes from verse 21. Let's look at verse 21. Verse 21 tells us, For even hereunto ye were called, because Christ, suff because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. So we see Christ lived a life here. He was here. He showed us how to live. And so as we talk about listening to the government and being good citizens, and as we talk about this today, being good employees, Jesus Christ showed us how to do these things. And so when we think about these things, we look and we see, first of all, letter A, that we're called to suffer. Are you aware that Christians are not called to an easy life? Man, I, I've heard people come, I've talked to people, and they're like, man, when I got saved, the pastor told me life would be easy. Man, you get saved, you got a big old target on your back. It's not, it's not easy. You got someone to go through it with you. That's what you gain. You gain Jesus. But it doesn't make life easy. There is suffering that happens. Jesus, the Son of God, suffered. We're called to suffer, the Bible tells us. There was a man who was martyred for his faith in Nazi Germany, and this is what he said. When Christ, and Christ, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. We're called to suffer. We live in easy Christianity today. But those that this was written to, they lived in a lot different day than we live today. And we see the fact that we're called to suffer. We're also called, letter B, we're called to follow his steps. Now, if you look at that phrase there, it says, leaving us an example. Now, um, those of you, some of you in this room, this is going back a long time ago. Remember when you were in school? Maybe kindergarten, first grade, and all that. And some of you are like, kindergarten, first grade, that was like 150 years ago. I can't remember that. 
And I get that. That's okay. That's a long time ago for a few of you in this room. I have a hard time remembering all of it. But you remember when you were learning how to write, what they would do is you had these tablets and things, and not a tablet like today that, you know, an iPad, they, not that type of tablet, a writing tablet with a pencil or a pen, and it had all the letters in it, and you would trace those letters. And so I've, I got to go to a Christian school growing up, and so we did these terrible things called a, an ACE PACE. And it literally is purgatory, is what it is for a young person. It was awful, these things. But what, and what they would do is, so we learned, and nowadays people don't use cursive very often. It's mainly print that people use. And I, like, I t like in our Christian school, they have the opportunity, they can use cursive and different things. And I try to teach the kids here, I would use cursive. You know why I used cursive in school back in the day? Spelling test. Because you can make it look, you can make it look real close to the word, and then they might not know if it's a U or an I, and it just, you know. So why would I, why would I print on a spelling test when they can see the what's wrong right there? I use cursive just for that. There are still times I write letters or different things, and I'm like, oh, how do you spell that? And I just write the whole thing in cursive. You know, it looks close enough, right? They can't quite tell with all that. But the whole thing I'm trying to say, the Bible tells us right here in this passage. It tells us that we are to, um, there in verse 21, that leaving us an example. So you think of that pad there that you trace. It gave you an example of how to write the letter A. It gave you an example, a big A, small A. You would take your pencil and you would trace. Christ gave you his life so that you could trace it and know how to live and follow his example just as you would have that example to learn how to write. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? And so when we think on this, what did Christ do? So the first thing that he did, number one underneath this is, don't act sinfully. Now you're like, oh, pastor, I fail at that one. I sin all the time. We all do. Now you got to understand something. Look what the Bible says here. So it says we're supposed to follow in his steps, right? And what were his steps? He who did no sin. Say, well, I'm already, I failed. I can't, I'm going to sin. We all sin, right? But we shouldn't desire to sin. You know, my goal every morning when I get up is, Brian, don't sin today. That's my goal. You say, how long do you fulfill that goal? Not very long. You say, have you failed that one today? Maybe so. Yeah, I have. Okay. But that should be our goal. I heard someone a while back tell me, I've re I've. I've achieved sinless perfection. And I'm like, you just lied, and you just lost it. We're not going to be sinless in this life. As long as you have this flesh, and as long as we live in this world, you will not be sinless. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't strive not to sin. So if we're going to follow in Jesus' steps, first off, you're never going to fully be in his steps because he was perfect. But you don't need to sin. Try not to. Pray that you don't. Do your best in that area. What else did Jesus do? Number two, don't speak sinfully. And look at what it says here. This is what the Bible says. So what did he do? Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Do you see that right there? Guile. There was no filth found in his mouth. I don't understand Christians that have to swear all the time. I don't understand Christians that have to tell all the dirty jokes all the time. 
if you're going to follow in Jesus' steps, there shouldn't be garbage coming out of your mouth. Am I wrong? Did you read that right there? Don't be getting mad at me. I'm just the messenger giving you what the Bible says. I don't get it. I was around a Christian just this last week, and three times within ten minutes they took Jesus Christ's name in vain. You call yourself a Christian, the one who died for your sins, you vainly used his name. You know my response every single time is, that's my best friend. He's the one who died for me. Just something to think about a little bit. The problem is, Christian, what you put in is what comes out. If you're putting garbage in, it's going to come out. So be careful what you put in so the garbage doesn't come out. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3, He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life. But he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. The Bible also tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. The words that come from our mouth are powerful. And we see that if we're going to follow in Jesus' steps, we need to try not to sin so much. And we need to be careful what we say. Number three, don't retaliate. Look at what it says here. What did Jesus do? Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again? Say, but they deserve it. No, no, just calm down, calm down. They deserve it. I should say something back. They need to know how they made me feel. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Hey, if you're really Christ, you would, uh, you would have angels, you would, or you would come down from that cross. You saved others. You can't even save yourself. If I were Jesus, I would have said, fine. I would have taken them with my finger and put them on the cross, and I would have been down there laughing at them. That's not very Christ-like. Or the man that smote Jesus, the ones, you know, they, who, hey, who smote you? Been like, How'd that lightning strike you? These get even. Jesus didn't. He didn't retaliate. If you want to be like Jesus and follow in his steps today, and I know this is all of our thoughts, we're not Jesus. You're not. And you're not going to reach that in this lifetime. But are are you a Christian? That means you are supposed to be acting Christ like. And what did Christ do? He didn't sin. He didn't let garbage come out of his mouth. He didn't get even. But what he did, number four, is he trusts God to make the wrongs right. That's not always an easy thing to do. I get that. I understand that this morning. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, verse number 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Say, well, I'm just doing the Lord's work. I'm helping him out. No, no, no. The Lord doesn't need your help getting even with anybody this morning. This is what the Bible says the very next verse. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on him. So you're like, good. I'm going to feed him. I'm going to give them something to drink so I can spite them. And heap coals. No, you're missing the whole point. You do good to those that don't do good to you. That's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. It's not easy to do, but it's what Jesus wants us to do. As we look at these things, you've got to understand something. 
when we think about all of this, we think about the fact that we are supposed to be good employees, we're supposed to follow Jesus' pattern of submission, we need to look at number three, Roman numeral number three. We need to allow Jesus to free us from the penalty of sin. That's what verse 24 is all about. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. And when we look at this, do you realize today, you say, it's not fair how I get treated. I realize that. And I'm not saying it is fair. Was it fair that Jesus had to put on our sin? Was it fair that he died on a cross for what I've done wrong? Is it fair that he died on a cross for what you've done wrong? Did Jesus ever sin? No, he did not. We have. But he took it on himself for us. The Bible tells us in um, Isaiah 53, 6, the Lord hath laid on him, he laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He took it all upon himself. That reference in the verse to the tree is talking about Deuteronomy 21, 23, where it says, His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God. And we see the fact that to be hung on a cross or to be on that tree, it was you're, we were accursed. And Jesus did all that for you and for me. And see number four, Roman numeral number four, we need to trust him, trust Jesus to give you the power to serve him. Look at the rest of verse 24. We're almost done here this morning. It says that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. Not only have we been freed from sin's penalty, but we've been freed from the power of sin to follow Jesus Christ of what Jesus did. And you notice the end of that says, being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. And number five, and lastly this morning, our purpose is just to stay close to Jesus. Our purpose is to stay close to Jesus. What do we get from this passage of Scripture? We need to be good employees. We need to, when we look at Christ, we need to follow his example. And as we follow his example, we need to do what he would have us do. We need to allow Jesus to free us from the penalty of sin. We need to trust him, and then we need to stay close to him. Look at what verse 25 says in our last verse this morning. Verse 25, look at what it says. For ye were as sheep going astray. Now, I just want to help you out this morning. It's not a compliment to be called a sheep. Okay? That's not a compliment. If you think that, oh, but they're so they're so white and soft, and in all reality, and I don't mean this, they're one of the dumbest animals. They go astray, they do their own thing. They really they don't know what's good for them. So it's not if someone says, Hey, you're just like a sheep, they're not saying anything nice, okay? And that's what Peter's saying here. Look at what it says. I'm, being, I'm telling you the truth here. For ye were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. When we look at this here, when the, and as we think about this, the, we are left to ourselves. We go astray by turning our own way. And then it says that we return, which means to be converted or to turn. Repent would be the same thing here. And we see that Jesus is our shepherd and our bishop. When we think about that, I just want to give you a few closing thoughts. As our shepherd, letter A, he provides for us. 
Jesus is called the good shepherd in John 10. And a shepherd constantly cares for his sheep. And then we see bishop. And you see how they're both capitalized there, right? This is referring to Christ. And then we see he's our bishop. And our bishop, letter B, protects us. The word bishop means guardian. And the root word means scope. It's where we get the words like microscope, telescope, stethoscope. You can see little things from far away. So the prefix intensifies the word. So think about this. In the ancient Greek world, the overseer was one who came unannounced to the troops to see if they were prepared for battle. And our overseer, our bishop, watches out for us. What a blessing that is. And, and just some thoughts there. This is a side note. This is talking about Jesus because they're capitalized there. But when God gives you a pastor, you have a pastor in your life, he is an under-shepherd. It's my job to care for the sheep, as a sheep myself. It's my job to care for you. But it's also my job as a bishop to watch out for you and to help guide you along the way. That's what God calls a pastor to do. And thank God that God puts people in our lives that can help us with those things. Um, we think of servants... And we get bad ideas in our mind about servants. But do you realize there's one of the greatest compliments given in Scripture over and over again? Abraham was called God's servant. David was God's servant. Job was God's servant. When you think about Paul and all of the things that he had and all the accomplishments in his life, he was an apostle, and what's the first thing he said? A servant of Jesus Christ. James, a servant of Jesus Christ. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Peter, a servant of Jesus Christ. It would do us all well just to remember who our boss truly is. We follow Jesus. He's our leader. He helps us and guides us. And next week, we're going to look at marriage. You can look at the next few verses. And some of you are thinking, I'm not going to come next week. No, you should come. You should come. You should come. That's one of the disadvantages of just going passage by passage. You can look at, I don't know if I like those verses. We'll just skip that week and come another week. If you're one of those that says you should skip next week, then you really need to be here. And what's going to happen is, if you're not here, I'm going to know you really need it, and I'll just come to your house and preach it outside your house to you. No, I won't do that. I'm just kidding. But this is what we need to do today. We need to be good employees. We need to follow Jesus' pattern. We need to allow Jesus to deliver us from sin. We need to trust Jesus to give us the power to serve him, and we need to stay close to him. And we need to be good citizens, and we need to be good employees. And next week we'll see we need to be good Father, thank you for the truths of your word.